Hey, if you brought a Bible, I hope you did make your way with me to Numbers chapter 22. I promise the message this morning will not be as ominous as the video suggests, but uh, we are starting a brand new series this morning called Stranger Things. If you recognize that video, then you watch too much TV. Uh, no, we, we did base it on the uh, Netflix series by the same title. So uh, I promise, though, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with it. Uh, we're actually going to look at some weird stories in your Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever uh, read your Bible and thought to yourself after reading the story, huh, I wonder why that is in there. Uh, if you've never thought that, then you haven't read enough of your Bible because uh, there's a ton of jacked up stuff specifically in the Old Testament. And if you have read that, hopefully we'll touch on the story that you read uh, in this series and maybe you can get a little bit more of an explanation uh, from it. But uh, I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, is profitable for us to read it. Uh, I believe that uh, Jesus said in Luke 24 that uh, on the road to Emmaus that all the Scripture is about Him. And so even in the weird, I want to understand how that uh, gets us back to Jesus. Uh, I believe that the Bible tells one story. It's the story of the redemption of mankind by a loving God. So I want to know how does the curious fit into the complete? You know, how does these weird things fit into this grand narrative that God is telling? What, what can we learn even in the bazaar of the Bible? That's our goal over these next four weeks in this series. So uh, this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of your pet being pretentious. What? I don't even have a cat, Pastor. How is that even possible? Uh, no, that's what we're going we're gonna to chat about. It's in Numbers 22. We're going to pick it up right in verse 21. It says, So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam in a fit of rage. Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me these three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. That's what did it, right? You're talking to a donkey. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, you're a fool. That's what made you look like a fool? Maybe not. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Keep in mind, Balaam's not alone. He's got some brothers riding along with them. And uh, the, I wonder if they're hearing hee-hawing or the voice, you know, just some weird voice. Donkey continues speaking, though. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life. Have I ever done like anything like this before? 
Well, no, Balaam admitted. Uh, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with the drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Because he was being rather condescending to me. He stuck his his tongue out at the donkey. Uh, Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I certainly would have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Interesting that God found more value in the donkey than he did in the rider. Let me pray. God, thank you again for your word. We want to understand you better. Uh, worship you more fully in uh, the hearing of it, God. So we just ask you to to do now what only you can do. Open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears to hear clearly from you. God, that's why we're here. Uh, We want to uh, hear from you. Help us be encouraged and challenged and, and above all else, bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't know what your experience with a donkey has been. I'm guessing you have never uh, had a conversation, a two-way conversation, maybe one way, a two-way conversation with a donkey, but uh, my experience is not necessarily super compelling. Uh, Circa 2006, I participated in a fundraiser at Valley Center High School where we were playing in a basketball game. The catch within the whole thing is that everybody in the basketball game would be riding a donkey. Uh, Naturally, I had a few questions about that. Uh, mainly, number one, how many folks have been murdered by donkeys? You know, I, I was curious about that. 20 per year, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, that would be the, uh, the world average of donkeys murdering human beings. So uh, you're saying there's a chance. Yes, there's absolutely a chance that you could get killed by a donkey. At one point, I looked over, and one of the guys uh, participating in the game, his donkey just took off, uh, bolted towards the other end of the court for no apparent reason. He was trying to rein in the donkey, like, whoa, donkey, easy donkey. The donkey was not listening. You've probably heard the phrase, stubborn as a mule. Uh, Donkeys are just as stubborn as mules, uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, A horse and a, don- uh, a, a donkey is a mule. Um, if, if you didn't know that, that's how they get a mule. But uh, donkeys are just as stubborn. They, uh, it's, it's hard to convince a donkey to do something where it fears for its life. Uh, no matter what you're doing, you're not going to get the donkey to do it if it feels uh, in, in danger. People say that this is because a donkey has a highly developed sense of self-preservation. Uh, that's why you, they're you know, stubborn. So I took that to heart. Uh, I kindly whispered in the donkey's gigantic ear, you're safe with me, donkey. I will not do anything to harm you. Your life is not in danger with me on you. Uh, please do not run or kick me off in any way because I'm scared of most animals. But... Uh, Donkey. Why is it called a donkey, Pastor? I was wondering the same thing when I found out that I would be riding in one. Uh, normally, they're called a, a jackass, right? Uh, that's from the Latin word uh, equus africanus asius. Uh, helpful information for Jeopardy fans uh, in case you're ever asked that. But uh, why is it called a donkey? I looked it up in my uh, etymology, you know, word origin dictionary. And in 1785, donkey became a slang 
term uh, after the name Duncan. Like you, I began wondering, well, who is this Duncan fella that he was such a horrible human being that uh, everybody was like, you know what you remind me of? You know, my jackass back home. Uh, from now on, we're going to call him Dunky. Uh, after you, sir. Uh, sucks to be that guy, but apparently he was such a horrible human being uh, that um, everybody thought donkey was a suitable term. And uh, that's where the name, and it, the name stuck, even till today. So uh, generally, a, a boy donkey is called a jack. A, uh, a girl donkey is called a jenny. In Hebrew, which is what your Old Testament is written in, they actually had words for uh, a male donkey and, and girl donkey. A boy donkey in Hebrew is called Nair. Uh, a female donkey is called an Atone. Uh, in our story, where the donkey speaks, it's an Atone. It's a girl donkey. How many of you all know if a donkey's going to speak? It probably should be a girl donkey, you know what I'm saying? Like if any of the donkeys are going to talk. Uh, the male donkey, he wouldn't have followed the directions to even begin with. So there's where we're at with that. But, um, I wondered what kind of dialect the donkey would have spoken in. You know how Siri, you can change Siri on your phone. I wonder if the donkey, you know, I'd want my donkey to speak Australian. Uh, if it were me and I was having the conversation with the donkey, I would want her to speak to me with an accent, but that's just me. Uh, also helpful information. If you own a donkey and you decide you need to move to the European union or great Britain, your donkey needs a passport. Uh, it does not need to be a photograph of the donkey. It needs to be a sketch of the donkey by a licensed veterinarian. So the veterinarian profession is a little different over there. Apparently, you also have to be good at art. But uh, that being said, we're trying to figure out why is this passage in our Bible? Uh, who, who is this donkey? Why is it speaking? Who's the writer? Uh, what is this all about? How does this get us to Jesus? Uh, you know, in all my research, the only other talking donkey I could find is in the animated classic Shrek. So why uh, is this in Scripture? Well, it's helpful any time you read your Bible in any passage that you don't just pull out something and make it mean whatever you want. We call uh, this putting the, the verse in context. So anytime you read something weird, you should reread anything you read beforehand and anything you read uh, afterwards. And that kind of helps put the verse into context. Um, like I said, because you don't want to just take something and make it mean whatever you want. One of you know, my biggest pet peeves uh, examples of this uh, was in, uh, I believe, Matthew uh, chapter 18, when uh, Jesus comes to people and he says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. Well, that has nothing to do with the, the, the meeting we're having right now, that when two or more are gathered in my name. In fact, uh, what Jesus is talking about there is church discipline, that anytime there's unrepentant sin and two or more go to, to confront that, uh, when two or more are confronting the sin, Jesus is going to be there with, with them in the confrontation. So it's not that, you know, as if God is up in heaven going, oh man, golly, I wish I could go help them. I, I would totally have the answer for them, but there's just one of them. You know, if only they had more friends, uh, God could help our situation because when two or more, you know, it's just not good for them. Uh, that's not at all what the passage is talking about. Uh, the, passage, the passage is saying, you know, in confrontation. So my point is, you don't want to take things out of context and just make it mean whatever you think it means. You want to uh, investigate, well, what does God want it to mean? Why did he communicate it to us? And so when we're looking at this passage uh, of the donkey speaking, it has much more 
more to do with the donkey's rider than it does with the fact that the donkey says anything at all. Uh, So who is Balaam? That's really what we need to discover. Uh, We need to put our Sherlock Holmes cap on and investigate this character, this chap, this young man named Balaam. Balaam is what we would call a prophet. Uh, Some people would call him a magician. Some people would call him a wizard. I'm a, you know, a product of the 80s, so I had a deep well to draw from when trying to figure out, you know, a modern day example. We could have talked about Merlin, Merlin's, you know, comparable to, uh, to Balaam, Uh, Queen Bavmorda, any willow nerds. No, one. Okay, great. Well, there's that. Um, Moving right along, that went over like a lead balloon. Uh, There's also uh, Mortiana, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, anyone? Kevin Costner is dreamy in that. The boy can fire some arrows as well. So that could be a comparable, helpful comparison for you in thinking about Balaam. My wife, you know, big Harry Potter fan, she said, well, what about Lord Voldemort? You know, surely that's a good example of a powerful magician. I was like, babe, LV has got rookie numbers, right? I mean, LV is JV when you're comparing him to... If you're getting bested by a prepubescent teen, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, come on. I mean, Connor McLeod would would kill Lord Voldemort, but I digress. Uh Balaam is in the stream of those types of individuals, though. He, he is paid by individuals to put a curse on other people. That was his whole profession. Kings would travel from all over the world uh, in order to find Balaam to help their armies, to give them confidence that they could win a battle. He was an opportunist who uh, sought to manipulate the spirit world for his own benefit. He wanted money. He wanted to convince people that he was doing that as well. Just for the record, this still happens today. Uh, There's opportunists who seek to manipulate the spirit world. I read about a story online of a lady named Rose Marks uh, who was arrested for uh, doing this exact thing. And uh, her attorney argued that she had these powers that had been in her family for 1,500 years that she was able to predict the future and, uh, and read tarot cards and, and speak to the dead and all these things. And people would pay her to do that because, you know, it was a gift in her family. And uh, she uh, manipulated $25 million out of folks. Uh, so let that sink in. Um, $25 million convincing people that she could predict the future and uh, tell them exactly what their future would hold. And ironically, what she did not see coming was the 10 years that she spent in federal prison <laughs> for, you know, conning people out of money. But all this comes to a head here in our passage when a king pays Balaam. He seeks Balaam out to to curse a group of people. If you don't know the backstory, let me quickly fill you in because it'll help put things in context uh, for us. Way back in Genesis, God in his mercy and grace 
grace and infinite wisdom for no apparent reason other than his grace and mercy, shows up to a guy named Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with uh, descendants. And out of your descendants, the Savior of the world, Jesus, is going to come. And this was a big deal for Abraham because Abraham's 90 at this point and has no kids. And God says, no, you're going to have more descendants than the sands of the seashore. He said, look up at the stars. You're going to have more kids than the stars. Uh, Not more kids, but more descendants. That'd be a lot of kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, wife might not appreciate that promise, but... Um, you're going to have descendants more numerous than the stars. And this, this takes place, actually. He, he, he does have a, a whole bunch of descendants, and they live there in modern-day Iraq. But a, uh, a famine comes, and they, they need to flee to Egypt. And, and God raised up a man named Joseph, who you've maybe heard of. He became prime minister uh, of Egypt. And, and the Israelites come, and they're fed during this famine. But Joseph dies. And the Pharaoh is frightened by the the millions of of Israelites uh, who are in his kingdom, and so he enslaves them, uh, forces them to you know do brutal labor and and make bricks and all kinds of of crazy things, and he beats them, and you know a, a number of, of hurtful, painful things happen because of this. But uh, again, God, after about four hundred years of slavery, raises up a guy named Moses, aka Charlton Heston, to say, "Let my people go." in a deep and powerful voice. Uh, And he does that in the palace. And um, after a series of plagues, the people are sent free. But uh, 39 years go by that they're in the wilderness when all of a sudden they camp out across a river from this king named Balak. That's where we find ourselves in Numbers chapter 22. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Says, then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. Uh, The king said to the elders, This mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours the grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they're too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Pause. The king's fear is unfounded. He's the king of the Moabites. And if you know your Bible history, you know that the Moabites are actually descendants of Abraham. Uh, God said, you, when you go into this promised land, which is actually the Garden of Eden that I have promised to your, your kinsman Abraham, when you go there, you cannot harm the Moabites uh, because they're descendants of yours. So the king really shouldn't have been afraid at all. Yet um, people say, never let fear decide your future because great self-destruction follows unfounded fear. And that's what happens here with King Balak. He has a fear that these people are going to do something to him, whether it be take all of his kingdom's resources or worse yet, kill him uh, and take away his power. And so he's afraid. And so he sends uh, his elders off to find Balaam some 400 miles away. Uh, That's pretty amazing. 
if you would take that journey by horse full out, it would take you 10 days to get to Balaam. A 20-day journey to and from. Uh, likely they were not riding horses, at least this first group of people. They were probably walking, which would double that. So 20 days to find Balaam, 20 days home. Uh, also think about the fact that Balaam's reputation has spread so far, some 400 miles in a world with no internet and no cell phone service, you know, and, and no Pony Express to, to let people know, hey, have you heard about this brother Balaam? He curses people. He wins battles. Uh, From what we can tell, he's undefeated. How else do you develop a reputation so large that people 400 miles away from you know your name? Uh, I would venture to say that if you would travel to western Kansas right now, 400 miles away, nobody would have any idea who I am. Uh, Despite the fact that I'm a legend in the Tri-County region, um, nobody would know outside. I, I jest. Uh, nonetheless, Balaam has, has developed this reputation of a man who gets things done. And so King Balak sends his group off uh, on this 10-day, 20-day, who knows, journey. It reads, Balak's messengers who were elders of Moab and Midian set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. Now, I wonder how many of you have made bad decisions based on bad information. King Balak has bad information. He's trying to pay a guy to come curse Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Balak said, Balaam said to these guys, stay here overnight in the morning. I will tell you whatever the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, whatever the Lord directs me to say. The punctuation there is important. Uh, Any time in your Bible when the the word Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D, it's referring to God's covenant name, Yahweh. Uh, This is a big deal because the Jewish people would not even utter the the word Yahweh for fear of taking God's name in vain. Uh, This would be God's proper name. Uh, that Balaam uses. You know, we, we have common names for God. Uh, we have common names for people. Uh, my kids call me dad. Uh, my uh, people here generally call me pastor. You know, I've instructed my wife to call me your excellency. Anytime she addresses me, don't tell her I said that. She would punch me right in the face uh, in front of all of you with no fear of condemnation. So it's happened before. Um, uh, but that's God's covenant name. My, my, my proper name, obviously, is Landon. God's proper name in Scripture is Yahweh. It's Hebrew for I am. I am who I am. God has no beginning. He has no end. He is who He is. He is Yahweh. This is, this is God's, uh, again, covenant name. Uh, this could explain why Balaam had such a, a, a popular reputation. If he is a prophet, which uh, we'll see in a, in a few minutes that I believe he was a prophet of God, um, that, that why he could, we could, he could have an undefeated record. Uh, only God could accomplish something like that. I mean, only God could allow somebody to say, yeah, you'll win or you won't win. And that actually happened every single time. Uh, it's also why I believe that in Second Peter, when the author is talking about false prophets and how to recognize them, he refers back to Balaam. Check this out. We'll put it here on screen. It says, They have wandered off the right, right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. 
but Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. And so when we put this scripture into context, we find out that Balaam did not do what God had asked him to do. In fact, he was a false prophet. And so really for us this morning, the reason we need to uh, look at this passage is because this passage serves as a warning for us to not take the path of Balaam, uh, to not do what Balaam did and make decisions based on, you know, profitable uh, resources or, or otherwise, that we should not make our decisions based on what we feel, but rather what God says. And so let's look at what God says to Balaam. Verse 9, that night God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast sort of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. Do not go. So God said, don't go. Say that with me. Don't go. Don't go. Don't curse these people. You're not to curse these people, for they have been blessed way back to Abraham. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go on home. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, will not let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes, and more in number, and more honorable than these. More money, mo problems, you know what I'm saying? And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse these people for me. In other words, name your price. I'll do whatever you want. Just come. You know, this is the American dream, is it not? Uh, Little work, huge payday. Little work, just come tell these people they're going to die. Huge payday, whatever you want, I'll make it happen. Uh, this is what we all strive after. Little work, huge payday, Powerball is about to drop somebody. Verse 18, but Balaam answered, said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Who? The Lord, my God, that's why we believe he's a prophet, albeit a false prophet and horrible one. The Lord, my God, to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. What more the Lord would say to me. Translation, that's a lot of cheddar y'all brought with you. I'm going to need to go talk to God and see if he hasn't changed his mind, you know. Please, 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 pretty please with cherries on top. I really need to go. I won't ask for anything ever again, God. Y'all got kids? This is what they say. Please, I just need that. This is the only one I ever will need. That's not true. Uh, This is Balaam uh, asking God, pleading with God, I need that huge check that they brought over here. I need to cash it and get some money. God came to Balaam the second time at night, said to him, if if the men, 
circle star, underline, highlight what you do if you got your Bible open. If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went to the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled against him because he went. Why? Didn't he just tell him to go? He said, if the men come to you. What did Balaam do? Saddled up the donkey and went to them. He disobeyed God. And God was angry. And this brings us all the way back to Balaam uh, and when the donkey begins to speak to them. Uh, Balaam says, the early bird gets the worm, God. I just need to go get to them so they could take me uh, to the gold. The angel of the Lord made his way and stood against him. You know, lesson one from the story is probably if an animal speaks to you, do whatever they say. You know what I mean? Like if that's actually happening in real life, maybe go with that. Uh, but lesson two is probably more of don't make God use an animal to get to your attention. You know what I'm saying? Like if it gets to that point, things are probably dramatically, drastically wrong in your life. Uh, so maybe I can just, you know, take the uh, the the situation and be the animal for you, be the donkey, as it were. I'll use that word <laughs> instead of the other word. Uh, some of you that went right over, you'll you'll figure it out at lunch. Uh, but I'll be the donkey in this scenario, and uh, maybe speak to you what hopefully God is trying to get your attention with four quick things that serve as a warning for us so we do not end up down this path of of Balaam. Number one, we don't believe God the first time. Why would God have to use an animal to speak? Why would your pet be pretentious in his conversation with you? Uh, Because we don't listen to God the first time. Verse 12 was rather clear, was it not? Don't go. Do not go. Do not curse these people. They have been blessed. Don't go at all. You know, I wonder how many of us have gotten a clear answer from God on something, and for whatever reason, we chose not to listen when God said, don't go. Maybe it was in a relationship. God said, don't be in that relationship. Don't go. And for whatever reason, we were like, well, I've got peace about it. That's because God quit speaking. It's awful peaceful when things are quiet, is it not? Uh, And so when God said it the first time and you didn't listen, he was just like, well, I'm not changing my mind here. Uh, And so you have peace, albeit false peace. Uh, Don't go. What's that look like for you? Could be in your finances. God says, do not spend your money in that capacity. Give, you know, the way you're supposed to. I don't know how many conversations I've had with Christian people who know exactly what God says, clearly defines what a tithe is, and they've chosen uh, not to listen. You know, well, I get my student loans paid off, you know. If I had a different job, uh, let me get caught up. God says, no, that's not my word. That's not what I'm trying to communicate with you. God wants me happy. Uh, God wants you holy. There's a difference. Uh, and you're supposed to follow what God clearly communicates in Scripture. Maybe God said, don't go to that movie. Don't go to that TV channel. Don't go to that website. Uh, don't do what it is you feel like you're supposed to be doing in this uh, moment. You know, don't swipe that direction. 
uh, God says uh, things to you and, and you don't listen the first time and God might need to get your attention. You say, well, pastor, there was an open door. You know, if God opens a door, we're supposed to walk through it, right? No, wrong. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, there was an open door I'm supposed to go through. No, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Just because a door has opened doesn't mean God has changed his mind. Amen, somebody else. Uh, God's not changing his mind when he's clearly communicated something to you in scripture. It's also why I love the fact that Paul brought in another objective party, that he didn't find Titus there. That's how we know God, just because there was an open door. His brother wasn't there to help, you know, solidify that decision. That's why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group, because you need people speaking into your life. Uh, because you'll feel one way and that's not the way God is actually leading you. Uh, or you'll read a scripture out of context and think, oh, this is God speaking when it's clearly not God speaking. Uh, God told me, you know, I should divorce my spouse. Nope. God has never said that. Um, you need to bring people into your life. You need to bring the word of God into your life. And when God speaks the first time, you need to stop looking for a loophole, which is point two. Uh, the reason God might have to use a uh, donkey to speak to you uh, pretentiously, condescendingly to get your attention is because we're constantly looking for a loophole. Well, God, you told me not to go with the first group, but what about the second group? They're more distinguished. There's more of them. You know, maybe this is of you. I better go check and ask if you've changed your mind. Be careful about uh, doing something that God has said no to or not doing you know, something God told you to do. This is the, the place I found myself in when uh, God told me very clearly to, to go plant a church and I was looking for a loophole because uh, this is not what I thought my life was going to look like. This is not what I signed my family up for when uh, my wife and I were married. Yet I thought it was an act of disobedience to not go. Um, and And you can't always look for a loophole, but... Uh, people like to think, well, God, I know this is generally how it's happened for everybody else, but surely I'm the exception. And when God tells you to do something, we like to figure out, well, how close to this, you know, can I get without actually doing it? You know, how close can I get to the line without stepping over the line? Uh, What is sin? Can you help me define what the actual sin is so I don't cross the line? We call this technical obedience. Getting as close to the line as we can without stepping over it. I'm reminded of uh, uh, Joseph who I talked about earlier. He was actually in slavery at one point in his life before he became prime minister. And his boss's owner, his owner's wife tried to seduce him. And uh, she, she was, took off his clothes and uh, he said he, did, he ran away. He did not say, well, let's see how close to sex we can get without actually doing it. Yet is this not most young people's uh, defense in the world right now? How close can we get to the line without actually crossing the line? When the question you should be asking is, where is the line so I can get as far away from it as possible? 
That, that is what God is asking of you. Uh, the reason he, he clearly outlines what He wants in your life in Scripture is so that you'll know it, so that you can get as far away from the wrong things as possible. Uh, am I preaching well this morning? Okay, because you're just kind of staring at me. Um, but technical obedience. This is what your kids do, and if you have children... Uh, well, uh, you know, Dad, you, you said technically to sit down at supper time. I'm on the floor. I'm technically sitting down. I'm sitting on the table, technically, I'm sitting down. Oh, man. Oh, you told me to shower. You know, you didn't say I'd just be in the bathtub with the shower curtain closed. Come on, guy. I mean, that just makes perfect sense. Uh, you told me not to buy any new clothes. These are shoes. You know, shoes are not clothes. You know, essentially gloves for your feet. That's fine. Buy as many, you know, shoes as you need. I'm, I'm on board. Uh, I wish, though, that we weren't uh, thinking in terms of technical obedience so much. And in our litigating world, this is what we like to do, to, to find loopholes. And um, technically, Balaam obeyed. If you read the story, uh, Balaam did not curse the people of, of Israel. In fact, he blesses them seven times. And technically, he obeyed what God told him to do. Go and do what I tell you. And that's what he did. Uh, yet he's this a warning for us, this, this false prophet, uh, because he was looking for a loophole. I'll tell you exactly what the loophole is in a second. But I wish more people in the world were like the homeless guy I saw on the street the other day holding up a sign that says, I don't need a job. I need money. Oh, well, that's very creative, sir. Here's $5. Thanks for your honesty. Uh, he's probably using it for booze right now, but who knows? Um, I wish more people were like that, though, you know? At least he's not looking... I mean, he's, he's being honest. Now, he's looking for a loophole. I don't want to work for anything. I want you to pay uh, what it is. But uh, that's not what God is asking you to do. Stop looking for loopholes. Some of us are so busy looking for a loophole, we're missing out on God's game plan. You know, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Uh, stop trying to worm your way out of it. You'll be much happier in life if you submit to God's authority and do what God has called you to do. Number three, why would God have to use an animal? Because we confuse God's presence with God's approval. Uh, We know that if you're a believer in Christ, that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and convict you and lead you and all of these other things. And, you know, we like to think to ourselves, well, uh, God is with me, so he must be approving of this situation. Uh, This goes back to point number one, that if God has said something the first time, you better listen. Uh, But that's often not our attitude. And uh, we like to think, well, God has caused all this to work out. You know, uh, God's in control of everything. And uh, Jonah thought the same thing when God said, hey, I need you to, you know, go over here to Nineveh. And uh, Jonah shows up to the boat dock and it just so happens that there's a boat going the other direction. Well, praise God. I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. I'm just going to hop on this boat and sail the opposite way. And it ended for Jonah the same way it pretty much would end for you or uh, Balaam. Uh, My point is it's better to serve in the story than be a victim of the story. Uh, That's what I think we need to realize today, that it's better to serve God and what his plans for your life are than to be a victim of God's uh, wrath when you disobey. Uh, Balaam did what God asked him to do. He went, he blessed the people seven times. I'm sure Balak was like, bro, what are you doing? I've asked you to curse these people seven times now. You've blessed them. And at the end of the situation, Balaam was like, well, here's what you need to do. 
since I wasn't able to help you out on the front end. You don't need to kill these people. You need to convert them. Send some of your finest women down there. Uh, let them encourage the Israelite men. And at the end of the encouragement, invite them to go worship Baal up on the, uh, the high places and just see what happens. And Balaam says, in fact, don't pay me anything until you do what I've just asked you to do. And if it doesn't work, you don't owe me a cent. You know, if we don't in our, win our case for you, we don't owe us a dime. And uh, sadly, it worked. The women converted many of the Israelite men. They began worshiping Baal in a, a long line of uh, God's wrath that pretty much the rest of the Old Testament ensues because of Balaam's advice. And Balaam, the next time you, you read about him in Scripture, he's back with these kings, uh, likely uh, toasting his you know, amazing accomplishments, still undefeated, baby, uh, getting the big payday when God uses the Israelites to come in and kill everyone, including Balaam, who dies a horrible death. It's better to be servant in the story than a victim of the story. Finally, number four, we pursue the wrong treasure. Now, why is God using me to speak to you this morning? Why does God maybe need to use your pet to get your attention? Because we pursue the wrong treasure. Um, greed is very powerful in our world. That's why God says the love of money is the root of many of your sins. Pride is the root of all of your sin. Uh, because we want our way more than we want God's way. And I'll, I'll close by saying this, that uh, if what your heart wants is contrary to what God uh, is leading you to, then don't follow your heart. You know, when, when, uh, when it doesn't matter what your heart wants if you're solving the wrong problem. Uh, the Bible says that there's a problem in our world today. Uh, that's sin separating you from God. And if you're just following your own path, it's going to end up in the wrong place. There's a, a spiritual principle I heard a pastor talk about when I was at a conference called the dimmer switch principle. And it's simply that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior, uh, the Scripture makes it clear that God lights up your world. Uh, you're a bright light, a shining light for people to see. And uh, God shines a light in the dark places and, and uh, convicts you of sin and helps you change your life and gives you the power to do that. Yet, when you follow your own path, uh, the light gets dimmer. You, you know what a dimmer switch is, right? You, you gradually get it down and down and down. And, and this is how it is with God, that when you follow your path, when you don't listen to Him the first time, He'll turn the light switch down. And when you look for a loophole, He'll you know, turn the light switch down. And when you pursue the wrong treasure and um, you do all of these things that God eventually will get to the point where it's just click. The most terrifying passage in all of Scripture, probably Romans chapter 1, when God says, do you want this? Go after it. You know, you want your, you follow your heart? Follow your heart. And then it ends with destruction and murder as we see with Balaam and uh, just because we feel God's presence doesn't mean he's approving of the decisions we're making. God wants to change your life. Uh, God wants to help you 
uh, have a, a better life. God's not trying to keep anything from you. The point of the rules and all of these things is so that, so that you can be used by God to tell his great story that there is a problem in the world, but, but Jesus came and solved the problem. Amen, somebody. And this is what I want for you to serve in this story, uh, to be a, a powerful force in, in the story that God is trying to tell. This is what I believe God wants from you as well. So let me pray towards that end. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for uh, your presence. We believe that you are in this place with us, uh, not because there's more than two people here, but rather because you said that you would be with your people. You would never leave us. You would never forsake us. God, we're so thankful for that. Uh, But I also believe that you're trying to speak to people where they're at, you're, you're using your Holy Spirit to help them realize where they're falling short of the, the commands that you've given, uh, that they haven't been listening to you. Uh, you've done that this morning, God. We're thankful that you're speaking to people. As we continue to analyze our hearts and, and pray about where God is leading us, might I submit to you that God might be asking you to take that first step into becoming part of his family right now that uh, longing you're feeling in your heart, the the reason you've tried the things you've tried is because God's trying to get your attention to help you realize that the only thing that's going to solve these problems is a relationship with Him. Uh, So I want to give you a chance right now just to surrender your life to God, uh, to do what Balaam should have done and just repented and stayed where he was. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So just... In your heart, say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry I followed my own way. Sorry I've uh, lived how I shouldn't. I need you to save me. And I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died for me. And I believe he rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me. God, I give you my life. Help lead me in your path. And God, that's our prayer for everyone in this room, that they'll take their next step of obedience closer to you. They'll repent of their sin and draw closer to you, all in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, amen.